Well, so good to be with you guys this morning, and uh, we'll be diving in this morning to 1 John chapter 5, and we're looking through the first five verses this morning, and, and really the topic, it's interesting this morning, we've titled Overcomer, maybe you'd guess that from the song, but you think about scripture, how many different titles it gives to us as Christ followers, children of God, sheep, ambassadors, soldiers, lights in the world, chosen, heirs, beloved, a royal priesthood, salt of the earth, and the list goes on and on. So many different things that speak to the blessings and privileges we have in Christ. But this morning we're going to be introduced to a new term, and you can probably already guess it. It's a new descriptor that John introduces to uh, the, the audience here in First uh, John 5 and describing Christ followers as one who overcomes, one who overcomes. To the idea of overcomes means to conquer, to gain victory, or to defeat. Of its 28 different occurrences in the, the scripture, 24 of those times it's being used by John. So John really loved this picture. It's kind of neat picture in this guy that's most likely in his early 90s writing this and describing uh, those who follow Jesus as overcomers, as overcomers. So 24 times he refers to us as that. Three of those times, just in these couple verses we're going to look at this morning, in his day and age, it was actually a popular term amongst Greeks who didn't all believe that ultimately we could have victory as a mere mortal, that victory was left for somebody that was immortal and usually pointed to with Greek gods in that time. In fact, the Greek original Greek word for overcomes, the verb, is pronounced nikeo. Nikeo. Wait a second, it's all coming together now. Where we get the word Nike from. So this term, Nike, it actually was to given for a, a Greek goddess of that time. You may have heard this story before, who assisted Zeus in his victory over the Titans in Greek mythology, referring to victory or victor. And so with uh, the pagan backdrop of that time period, John gave this stunning term to describe the potential that we have in Christ assigning an invincibility that was traditionally only associated with Greek gods. And so this was a, a big deal of John redeeming a popular term in that culture. And so when his audience heard that, wait a second, you're saying that we're able to be overcomers, that we can overcome the world? It must have been quite shocking. And so he took a term that was popular and redeemed it for his audience. And so my hope this morning, why you, many of you got this email inviting you to wear Nike, is because I thought we should redeem that brand. Are you guys game for that? And so every time you see that Nike swoosh, or Nike emblem on shoes or whatever, that you re are reminded of your identity in Jesus Christ as an overcomer, as an overcomer. In the text here, we get pointing to what we're overcoming, and each of the three times it's used here it refers to overcoming the world. A lot of times there's confusion about what we, he means by world. We a lot of times think of, well, does that mean that it's like Christ followers versus the world and against the people of the, the world that aren't in Christ? No, that's not what it's talking about. The world as it's described here 
he's referring to is the invisible spiritual system of evil, which is hostile to God. So it's the, it's the, the reality of the world, but not necessarily individuals. In fact, Jesus refers to this world. He says, in the world, in John 16, 33, he says, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Overcoming, it's a process that's designed for each one of us. And what is it referring to? Like I mentioned, a spiritual system, 1 John 2, 16, points to what's in that spiritual system. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are all marks of somebody that has succumbed to the world around us. But we're called to, even though we live in the world, to live separately, to live different, to be set apart, if you will, to be overcomers of this world, where, where God is gradually loosening the grip that it has on us, where all of a sudden the relationship that we used to have has lessened. The things that used to enamor us are less and less attractive over time. Anybody notice that, that progression in your life where the things that used to promise to be so fulfilling and satisfying, you're like, no, it doesn't do it. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't meet all of the, the hype. This is only possible, we're going to see in our text, 1 John 4, 4, which we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so this morning, we're going to recognize that this is only possible. Overcoming uh, the, the world is only possible because he who's in you is greater than he's in the, he who is in the world. Let me pray as we start. Dear Lord, thank you for this chance to be together and discover some truths about our identity in you, that there is the potential for us to see victory over the world, the grip and the grasp that it has on us. God, I just pray that this morning that you'd speak to us and that some of the clues in our text this morning of how to become an overcomer that we'd grab hold of, that you'd release some of the, the, the lies that we've bought into. We, we so quickly, Lord, I know, we so quickly can buy into the idea that we're defeated and that we're, we're fallen and broken. And although those may be true of us independent of Christ, when you've set up in camp inside of us, it changes everything. God, I just pray that you speak to us directly this morning. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, so 1 John 5, if you want to glance down at the passage there, we're starting in verse 1. And here's a little summary statement, and I'll explain this summary as we work through it is this statement, belief in Jesus Christ, we'll see in the text, leads to a new birth with a new love for God and his people. This love is displayed in our obedience and rooted in a faith that his way is best. This faith allows us to overcome the lies of the world so we can joyfully obey. We're going to explain what that means. Let's start by looking at verse 1, the first half of it. I've entitled this section, An Overcomer Believes in Jesus Christ. It says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. You see that everyone who believes. It's important to know who you're believing in. It's important to know who you're believing, who you're putting your trust in, who you're following. It's interesting in the world around us to talk to different people, how few people can actually explain details about who they're following. 
You think about some of the different world religions that, that are out there. The, you can ask somebody that's following Islam, and they know very little about Muhammad or Buddhists with Buddha or, or Mormons with Joseph Smith or uh, Scientologists with L. Ron Hubbard. It's important to know who it is you're following. Does that make sense? If you're going to follow somebody in order to, to effectively do that, you should know a lot about the person you're following. Think about it. You'd want to know that L. Ron Hubbard, if you're going to follow him, the, the, the creator of Scientology, you'd probably want to know that he is or was a science fiction writer. Wouldn't that be an important person to, to, or fact to know about L. Ron Hubbard? You'd want to know that before you followed him. You'd also want to know that he made the sta this statement. He said, you don't get rich as a science fiction writer. If you want to get rich, you start a religion. Don't you think you'd want to know that about L. Ron Hubbard before you actually started following his belief system? Important things to know about folks that you're following. You think about uh, so many, much of the world who are following the visions of, of Joseph Smith that he had in 1820. And you, you would probably want to know that in the Mormon Bible at the front pages, it has as a source of validation of what's written in it, it has a description of three witnesses that confirm Joseph Smith's visions from uh, the, the angel that came to him by his, his word, the angel Morani, which I think is kind of funny. Uh, but the angel that came to him named Morani, um, the, there's three witnesses to this. You'd probably want to know that each of the three witnesses eventually came out with the truth and said, we, we made that up. That, 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 wasn't, that wasn't right. That, 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 we didn't have this vision. You'd want to know that the three witnesses, in the same way you'd be concerned if the apostles of Jesus Christ said, no, we made that up. Like you'd want to know that, right, about Joseph Smith. If you were following Muhammad and his teachings, I would guess that you'd want to know that he was uh, that at age 50, he married a six-year-old. You'd, you'd probably want to know that information before you followed him. You'd want to know that he consummated that marriage when she turned nine. You'd want to know that before you chose to, to give your life and to, and, and to commit to something. These are important things to understand about who it is you're following. You see, the invitation in Christ, it says, hey, study him, explore him, look at his life, look at every facet of his life before you believe him. And that's what John's talked about before here. We want to be a place where people can explore the claims of Christ, where people can dig in, read about him, get to know who he was. And here's an important thing to know about who he is. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is the Christ. That's an important thing to understand about Jesus. And he says that's the basis for being born again is that somebody has to understand that Jesus wasn't just a good teacher, just a good man. He was what was promised, the Messiah, that would come to rescue man from his sins. It's an important thing for us to understand. If we're going to believe in him, we have to understand who he claimed to be. And he claimed to be God in the flesh. That's a foundation of our, of our faith. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. What does it say when we do believe that? That we're born of God. We're finally alive, if you will. Things start to, to look very different in our life. That, that things start to look, we see in the second part of the verse, part two there, 
that an overcomer loves the father and his children. Love is a mark of, of that person. It says, and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. Let's think about that for a second. When I was growing up, always since I was a little kid, I've always really liked cars. I don't know why. My, my dad didn't, couldn't care less about them. I collected matchbox cars and, and kind of studied the names and makes and was always into cars. Just all the way through, it's been a silly thing that, that I've liked. But one thing I've learned, haven't necessarily learned a lot, but I have learned a little bit. If you don't have tires, if you don't have a steering wheel, if you don't have a motor, you don't qualify as being a car. See, I've figured out a lot, right? Like, there, there's a lot. Because there's certain markers that make something what it is. The same is true, we're going to see in our text. There's markers that make us to, or confirm that we're a follower of Jesus Christ. And what does it say is the, the most visible marker? Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. The visible markers is the fact that we love Him and we love others. It's a visible way that we, we point to that says, man, that person must be a follower of Christ. He must be following Him because He loves the Father and He loves Others that have also embraced Christ. I was listening to a, a sermon by Francis Chan recently, and he was telling the story. It was interesting. He was telling the story about a wedding that he had performed. And it was a, a couple that was getting married a little bit later in uh, life. And uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, that the mom's uh, first husband had passed away and was marrying again at a, at a little bit older age. And the, the mom had a, a special needs daughter that was around 11 or 12 and uh, had really gotten attached to the, the new dad and was pretty excited about the, the whole ceremony coming up. And Francis Chan, like only he can tell a story, was saying, so I was up there and I was sharing the vows and his beautiful vows between the husband and the, the wife. And the father, the, the new husband, the new dad, if you will, decided to write vows for this little girl, promising her how much he was going to love her and care for her. So he starts in the ceremony, and it's a pretty emotional thing, as you can imagine. The little girl's already up there because she's up to be a part of the, the bridal party. She, she comes up, and she's standing up there, and he starts reading these vows to her and how he's committed to her and is going to love her forever. And, and, and the girl, he, he said, just started weeping. It started at first, it was like a light cry. Then she, the little girl just grabbed hold of his, his leg and wouldn't let go. And at first, people were like, whoa, is, is this going to stop anytime soon? Uh-uh. This girl was holding on, man. I, I wasn't clear on whether they finished the whole service with her clinging to him. But the picture is this, and I think it captures it well. Is Man, when you understand the Father's love that he's lavished on us, it's only natural that you extend love to, the, to, to everyone else around. You can't contain it. You've got to extend it. And that's the picture of God's love that he's saying. He says, there's no such thing as like, yeah, I love God, but I have my own independent relationship with him. I'm not a part of a community of believers. Like that's nowhere in Scripture. It's just, it's just not pointed to. There's no such thing as a, as a personal faith absent of fellowship with others. With home, at your home church with pastor sheets and reverend pillow, it's just not there. It's just not there. A part of what we're called to is community in loving others in Christ. 
I think it's interesting, if you guys haven't noticed this, in our last three or four weeks, we have this running theme of love, right? I keep glancing to the next section of Scripture, and I'm like, ooh, I wonder what that's going to be about. Oh, it's about loving others again. It's kind of this repeat theme, and you guys are like, okay, Scott, enough on the love thing. But do you ever wonder if maybe the fact that it's on repeat in the book of 1 John is because God forecasted that this would be an area of struggle in our lives. We might not be real great at getting this love thing down, that it's maybe an area that there's some room for improvement as a, a group of followers of him keeps repeating it, keeps repeating it, so it starts to sink in, starts to sink in. You need to love, you need to love. It's part of who we are. It's part of your new identity in Christ. You need to love. It's something how when something is repeated often, it starts to finally sink in. My uh, daughter, Alexa, is kind of funny. She's just an eight, eight-year-old, and she started in the last couple weeks, this is going to sound really random, but she started calling people a bananas. And she's like, she's like, Dad, you're a banana. I'm like, ah, that's funny, like the first time. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm not a banana. And, uh, but now, it's like, it's caught on. She says it, right, Adrian? She says it all the time. It drives me crazy. But I, I wake up in the night, and I'm like, am I a banana? No, no. <laughs> No, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not, but there's, some, there's power in something. Now you can call somebody a banana today. It makes no sense. Uh, but the idea of when something is continually rehearsed over and over, you finally start to absorb it. I don't know if that relates. But, uh, but this idea here is it keeps going back to the love thing, to the love thing. If you are in Christ, if you're born again, love will mark your life. My question for us is, how do you know how you're doing with this? Do you ever wonder that with this? Sometimes the love thing can be kind of a, a vague deal. It's interesting. In verse 2, it describes how you can know. Titled this, an overcomer displays their love with obedience. It says, by this we know that we love the children of God. Good news. We can know, right? When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Kind of a cool section of scripture there. And so he's saying there, by this we know. In other words, how can I tell how I'm doing? Well, he says, I'll I'll answer that question. In verse 2 and 3, he repeats the same idea, that you love God and obey his commandments. Not loving people with the limited perspective, human perspective, on love that comes natural to us, but following his way, his commandments for what love looks like. Think about love in our culture. It's, it's more, in our culture, it's more of a transaction type love, where you and you, you're familiar with all of the, these terms that we use, the, the, that we say this, if you scratch my back, I'll... Scratch yours, do unto others as they done unto you, or this is a win-win for both of us, both of us. It's a transaction type of love in our culture where you do this for me, and I'll return this favor to you. That's how most of the relationships in our world look. It's, it's kind of a, a, a give and a, and a take, a give and a take, and we, and, we, and we interact like that. But if you think about it, How do we know that we're loving the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments? He's the one that establishes what this love looks like. And his love, as we saw in the person of Jesus Christ, is a little bit different than our love, right? His love was about 
serving the needs of others, was about making sacrifices, was about giving with no expectation of repayment. We help those and do anything for them, and we, and we have really no hope of getting something back from somebody. When was the last time that we loved and acted out in love and we really had no expectation or even hope of any return? That's the kind of love that he calls us to. Or how about his love that calls us to forgive even when someone hasn't said sorry? That's what he calls us to. Those are markers of the love that God describes about what we're invited to. And notice what it says, that, is, that it says at the end there, and his commandments are not burdensome. I like that picture there, because a lot of times you think about when you're a new Christian, you heard of all these things. Forgive people no matter what they've done to you. Turn the other cheek. Love and serve those in need. Wash people's feet. You're like, you read all this and you're like, are you kidding me? I'm not doing all that stuff. But it's funny how that changes over time. The more you're obedient to his command, you're like, ah, this is the best way to live. This is what we're designed to do. I heard an old pastor say this. He said, the longer I, o- I obey him, I wish I did it more. If I were to live my life over, I wouldn't go back to any obedience choices and change them, but plenty of disobedience choices I would change, right? Think back to your own life. Would you look back to seasons where you were following him or if that's presently now that you'd say, oh, I wish I'd do this differently? No, no. You look back at, at seasons of disobedience with regret. You see, his, his commands are not intended to be burdensome. And believe me, the readers of this time knew what it looked like to be under a, 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 a culture of commands being a burden, Right? That culture, that was present day, like all of the, I've got to weigh the dill, I've got to do this, I've got to tithe on that, I've got to do this, i got to, like, I mean, that, that, they knew what it looked like to have commands that were a burden. For them, though, the readers knew about that, but the idea of a love-based obedience was completely new. Obedience that came out of a love relationship because the, the, the founder of your, your, your belief, the one that you're following, has loved you so much, I can't help but respond in love. That was completely foreign to them. But Jesus affirmed that in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, what? You'll keep my commandments. It's part of the deal. It's part of the experience. It's, only, it's a natural outflow, and it's not intended to be burdensome. It's a problem when we start looking at the things that we do following Christ and you're like, oh, this, this feels like a burden. This feels, this feels heavy. This, is, this, is, uh, this has gotten to be too weighty. I was uh, on Friday night. I had come from a pretty long week already. We have meet as elders on uh, Thursday night. We get done at 10 or after, after that. It's a pretty long day from the morning. And then Friday was another full day. Then uh, sa- Saturday, just yesterday, uh, I knew we were, I was leading a, a men's discipleship group. And then we had Stella Segan's uh, memorial service and uh, then uh, sermon prep. And it's just kind of like a, a, a lot of stuff going on. And I remember Friday night realizing that I uh, hadn't memorized uh, the scripture yet for this men's group that I'm leading in the morning. We're holding each other accountable to this, and, and I'm, uh, it's about 11.30, 11.45. I'm, I'm laying in bed, and I'm like, I, I so just wanted to just zonk out. I'm like, I am not doing this. And then I looked up to see, because we have different in this workbook that we're going through, I looked up to see. I'm like, all right, well, which verses 
uh, are, is it? Because sometimes I know the verses already, and I'm like, please, Lord, let it be one of those weeks. I look it up, and, uh, and, and it's Isaiah 58, 6, and 7. What's the, the longest, most like, uh, like stretch of scripture that I've never memorized? I don't even know if I've read it. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at this section of scripture. I'm like, Lord, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And by this time I'm discovering this, Adrian's already in like her comatose. She's snoring. I, I, I'm laying there. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I was like, all right, Lord. Here we go. I start just kind of reading it over and over again. And, and, uh, and the guys in my group can attest I butchered it in the morning. I wasn't very good at it. But it was funny because just seeing how just meditating, even when I was exhausted, even when I was run down, just, just meditating, reading his, his word, allowing it to sink in, and his heart for the poor, and his, his desire to, to meet the needs of, uh, of, of those that are struggling. Like you start reading that and pouring your mind over it and, and over again. And, and I would say that was probably one of the, the most sweet parts of my whole week. I know that sounds weird. Have you guys had this before where you're like, when you actually do take time, to actually draw close to him and experience him and, and talk with him and, and just look, look, looking into the, the, the char- his character is a beautiful time. So the point being in this, man, that's, that's the whole idea of his commands. It's not meant to be something that's beating you over the head, you should do this, but it's meant and designed to be something that we enjoy, that we find life in. This last picture in verse 4 of an overcomer this, uh, I wrote this, an overcomer sees through the lies of this world. I'll explain that in a moment. Look at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's think about that for a moment. I really appreciated uh, 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 something I was reading this week from John Piper and his observation about the world in this context is the world equals, think about this for a moment, anything that makes the commandments of God seem burdensome. Anything that makes the commandments of God seem burdensome because the world keeps telling us, if you think about it, it's constantly trying to tell us that there's something else out there that's better that you're missing out on. That's what the world does. It says, oh no, trust me, this time it's gonna be awesome. But I fell to that last week. No, this time it's gonna be great. I know, I know no one else has been pleased when they get to, to the top of that letter, ladder and achieved all this and have all of these things, but you, it's gonna be different. You're gonna be the one person that's satisfied with everything. Wait a second. That's what the world keeps trying to tell us. And and, and what the truth is, and look at what it says is the source of our victory, how we're able to have victory over that. It says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I stopped and thought about that for a second. How, How does faith tie into this? But think about that for a moment. Think about how faith plays into this. Faith is clinging to the promise that God knows better. Faith is clinging to that promise. It's the power that exposes the world as the unsatisfying lie that it is. 
That's, that's what faith is. When you hit that cross road where you're like, well, should I, what I do, should I do what God's directed me to do? Should I prioritize my time like that? Or should I value this or elevate this? Should I have that conversation? You, you see, when you hit those crossroads, should I do what he says is best? Or should I follow my own path, my own track? Faith is what turns us to God's plan. Faith is what turns us to God's plan. I believe he knows What's best? You're clinging to a truth, you're a belief that he knows better. That's how we're over, able to overcome the world. When we start to expose the world as a lie and able to keep his commandments joyfully and we start telling ourselves, our mind starts telling us, oh, wait, that's going to take you down another road that's just not going to satisfy, it's going to leave you wanting. And, and, uh, and, and when that happens, then all of a sudden, what? The world has a, a little lesser grip on you. You're like, wait a second, now I'm becoming an overcomer because I'm clinging to the fact that he knows better than I do. That's an overcomer. That's the, that's the, that's the source of all of this. If you want to have victory in your life, you have to, you have to say, all right, I, I'm going to be a lover of people. I'm not going to buy into the fact that this or that or all the things that the world is saying is going to be the, the, the source of my satisfaction. I'm going I'm to push those out because I have faith and remember what we saw, that this faith, it says, or even at the end there, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It has to start with him as a foundation. That's how we're able to become overcomers. So my hope this week, and the reason why some of you are, nice Nike shirt there, I appreciate that, uh, some of you are, are wearing Nike, was my hope was that we would redeem that brand. That we would redeem that title. Next time you see a swoosh or a, or a whatever, a just do it or whatever you see out there, the next time you think of that, you're like, hey, that's reminding me of my identity in Christ. I'm an overcomer. I have the potential to overcome this, this world. I have the potential to have its release, its claws come off of me. It's a beautiful thing. My encouragement is next time you see somebody wearing Nike, why don't you ask them, say, are you an overcomer too? And see where that gets you, all right? <laughs> Let me pray for us as we conclude. Dear God, I thank you so much for this text and the reminder that we do have the potential to overcome the grip that this world has on us. We recognize that we can only do that in your power, that greater is you that's inside of us than he that's in the world. Thank you for that hope, that encouragement. I thank you for the consistent reminders that your word gives us that there is potential in this, that we don't have to live a defeated life. And even though we might fail and lose some battles, that overwhelmingly, ultimately, we will be overcomers, God. We thank you for the hope that's found in that word as well such a good and faithful God. We praise you here this morning. We thank you that you're constantly making things new. You're shaping us, molding us more into your likeness. Praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. If you wouldn't mind just grabbing the seat just for one second, I just want to close with one uh, thing before we go. First off, I heard rumor that it's Phil Runstein's birthday, so I wanted to wish you a happy birthday, Phil. I pray you have an amazing day. And... Um, and then I, I wanted to invite Doug and Sabrina to come up. Doug uh, has been an elder 
uh, since I've been at the church, well, I guess now just a couple of years uh, at the church, and he and Sabrina have been such a blessing. Sabrina's been involved with our prayer ministry, a plethora of other things that she's rolled up her sleeve and gotten involved with, and we're so thankful for the Flag family. Well, they're moving to Northern California, and it makes me upset when I think about it. And, uh, and so I just want to just take a second just to thank them and just to give appropriate honor and just pray for them before they go. I uh, wanted to give you guys something, and Sabrina was in my office the, uh, the other day passing by, and she's like, oh, that's a neat picture. I was like, oh, cool. I'll give that to her. So this is... Uh, <laughs> Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I thought that was fitting for uh, this morning. And just wanted to join, if you wouldn't mind joining me, just in praying for both Doug and Sabrina. Lord, we're so thankful for the way you move people and the way you work with people, the way you bring people and their giftings uh, amongst us, the friendships, the relationships that really are, are, are such a gift. And I consider that with both... Doug and Sabrina, it's been a gift uh, just spending time with them in the last couple years and developing a a great friendship, I know, uh, for my wife as well as for myself. I just pray that you bless and use them on this new adventure, that that their gifts would really be utilized in the new church that they connect with, that you just uh, give them just, uh, just fruitful ministry where you place them. Thank you for them. I pray for all the transitions uh, that are going to be involved with this for the kids and the, the, the movement there. And uh, God, I just pray that you continue to put a hedge of protection around them, that you'd use them mightily for your glory and your praise. Pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, you guys, so much for coming. Have a wonderful day.